We're uh, going to begin a new series that I want to set up for you, um, but the series is uh, um, it's going to be ongoing for a while. Really, it's, it's not a, seri- a teaching series necessarily. It's a continuation of our focus on the kingdom of God that we began a couple of weeks ago. We looked at Matthew chapter 13, looking at statements that Jesus makes. We talked to you a couple of weeks ago about how that Jesus did not come. You cannot find in the gospels the focus of Jesus's ministry being Calvary. He did not preach um, what we are accustomed to as a salvation message. In fact, when Jesus comes out of the wilderness experience where he spent 40 days and 40 nights, after he was baptized, he comes out of the water and God the Father makes the, the, one of the greatest declarations of all time. He says, this is my son. Now, Jesus knew who he was, so it wasn't for Jesus' sake that he said that. It was for everybody else. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove came and settled on him and remained. It's the first time in the Bible that we see the Holy Spirit coming and staying with someone. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come and go. He would, he would move on people and then he would lift. But with Jesus, he came and he stayed. And as soon as the Holy Spirit stayed on him, the Holy Spirit took control of Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Did you know that? Because yeah. the Bible says that the Holy Spirit drove him into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Aren't you glad the Holy Spirit doesn't drive you to be tempted? (laughs) Do you know why he doesn't drive you to be tempted? Because he drove Jesus to be tempted for you. And he spends 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness being tempted of the devil and going up against the devil and that directly correlates to the 40 years that Israel wandered in the wilderness. And in fact, the three statements that Jesus makes to the devil when he's encountering him are all direct quotes from Deuteronomy, statements made by Moses during their 40 years of wandering. Because everything Jesus does is for a redemptive purpose, including his time in the wilderness. But anyway, I'm so glad that Jesus doesn't, or the Holy Spirit doesn't drive us to temptation because Jesus was tempted for us. And when Jesus had his followers shortly after, we find this recorded in two places in the Gospels. And I want us uh, to uh, begin here. Donovan, if you would go ahead and follow along with me today and put that scripture up. I want us to all stand. I want us to make this prayer that Jesus prayed. Would you stand with me? I know you just got seated, but let's stand together. For the next several uh, weeks that I'm speaking to you, we're going to quote this together. This, of course, is what is the, what the Bible people call the Father or the Lord's Prayer, but if you read the story, you know that it's not the Lord's Prayer, technically, because Jesus, right before this, is talking to his followers, his disciples, and he tells them, when you pray, pray this way. So really, This is the disciples' prayer. So if you are a follower of Jesus, this is our prayer, all right? So let's say it together. One, two, three. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, 
hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Shanda, would you hand me that? That's right there on the, on, there you go. Um, deliver us, so, so uh, look at that last line again and deliver us not into temptation. Again, why does he not lead us into temptation? Because Jesus was led into temptation for us. Okay? Now, here's the key, the key line I want us to focus on today. It's this line right here, verse 10. Would you say it with me? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When Jesus is telling his disciples to pray, he specifically tells them to begin requesting for the kingdom to come to earth. Do you see that? So Father, I pray today in this place that you would begin to inspire us with this great truth, that God, your heart is that your kingdom from heaven would manifest in this earth. And I pray, God, that it begin to manifest in our earth that walks around in our bodies, that you would manifest in our mind, that you would manifest in our heart, that you would manifest in our bodies, and Lord, that you would manifest yourself, your kingdom, in this earth. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. So we could actually say that the goal of the Father is that on, it would be on earth as it is in heaven. That's really the heart of God. We talked to you about this a few weeks ago. We showed you the overriding narrative of the Bible, that this has been God's heart the whole time. Before he created the heavens, the earth, he created the heavens. He populated the heavens with created being called angels. Angels existed within his realm of authority, which is his presence. They revolted against him, some of them. He then removed them from his presence. He then created the earth, placed within the earth an expression of himself in humanity. The purpose of humanity was to grow, be fruitful, multiply, replenish, or extend in the earth. His goal was that through humanity, heaven would be manifested in the earth. But just like the angels, humanity revolted as well. And just as with the angels, God removed humanity from his presence by placing them outside of the garden. But God didn't give up. He then chose a man for no other reason other than he wanted to called Abraham. And he chose Abraham to create a new people. And he gave this new people a new land called Canaan. And his goal was that from Canaan, the people of Israel would become the embodiment of his kingdom on earth and that his kingdom would be extended throughout all the earth. That's why Israel was completely different culturally than every other people on the planet. But they also revolted against it. Because they chose, instead of being a kingdom that looked like God, they wanted to be a kingdom that looked like everybody else. Because right. originally God didn't want them to have a king, they had him. Right. But they chose a king. And they revolted. And when they broke the relationship with God, God did the same thing to Israel that he did to the angels and that he did to Adam and Eve. He removed them from Canaan. He removed them from the place of his presence. That's why anytime in the Old Testament that Israel is in the land of Canaan and identifies that as 
the, the, as, where he, as the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of earth when they're in Canaan because heaven and earth were together. But when they were removed from Canaan, where they were is the kingdom of heaven. But then God, as if looking at humanity, says, you can't get it right, so I'm going to take care of it for you. Then decides for heaven and earth to come together in Jesus. And then Jesus is baptized. He comes out of the water. The Holy Spirit sets upon him. He is driven into the wilderness. He deals with the historic problem of Satan from the Old Testament with the 40 years of wilderness. He, de- he deals with, with the devil there, you know, because Israel was all, ab- was all about realizing that their kingdom was about being in the earth. And at the end, Satan takes Jesus up onto the mountain and says, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the earth. And Jesus says, no, no, no. The earth is the Lord's, the fullness thereof. He talks about the kingdom of God. But from that point on, when he steps out, Jesus begins to preach the good news of the kingdom, the Bible says. And in fact, the very first time that he does a miracle, he tells his followers, the kingdom of heaven has come near you. It's like Jesus understood that what he really was about was about fulfilling the old plan of God of bringing the kingdom of heaven and the and the, the kingdom of earth together and manifesting the power of God in the earth. Right. Amen. And so he tells his disciples, I want you to begin to pray this. Begin to pray that it would be on earth as it is in heaven. Now, when you're looking at this world, do you think it's on earth as it is in heaven right now? I hope not. <laughs> but that became the heartbeat of Jesus. And I want to show you today why it should be the heartbeat of you and me as well. Have you ever thought about how amazing Jesus is? He is amazing, isn't he? I mean, whether you've been a part of new life for a long time or, or you're new with us today, I hope that already in this place you sense the presence of God and, and that he would be amazing to you. The Bible records for us that scribes and skeptics were amazed by Jesus. They were amazed by his teaching. That the hungry and the hurting, they were amazed by his miracles. And that adulterers and accusers were amazed by his love. Jesus is amazing. But have you ever wondered what amazes Jesus? What might astonish the most astonishing person who ever lived? Have you ever wondered what could leave the word of God, the living word of God, Jesus, speechless? Mark 6 records the story for us. Right here at the beginning of Mark 6, Jesus has completed a tour. He's done a lot of incredible things already. He's amazed his disciples already by calming winds and waves at the Lake of Galilee. He's amazed 10 towns by casting out a legion of demons into a herd of pigs. He's amazed a woman who was healed of a terminal blood issue just by touching his coat. He's amazed a dad 
and three disciples already at the end of Mark when he raises a young girl from the dead. Then after this, Jesus left that part of the country and he returned with his disciples to Nazareth, his hometown. The next Sabbath, he began teaching in the synagogue and many who heard him were amazed. They asked, where did he get all this wisdom and the power to perform all these miracles. In other words, Jesus went home. I love football. You know, we're right in the, we're just kind of finally began football season. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I like high school football too. One of my favorite parts of high school football is homecoming. It's that, that night where if you haven't been in a while, um, where, where you're playing a team you should mop the floor with. Nobody wants to lose homecoming. Yeah. yeah. So they purposely schedule a team they should beat with their B team. And, and, and they schedule this team, and, and the, the goal or the highlight of homecoming is the crowning of the homecoming king and the homecoming queen. Now, I just want you to remember and think back to this. I, I, I've always thought it's kind of funny. You've got the guys, football players. They do homecoming at halftime. They're already sweaty. And they got dirt on their uniforms. And they're standing out there with roses in their hands. Just something wrong about that picture. (laughs) I don't know that a single rose would make up for my stinkiness to my wife. So you got the guys that are out there in their pads and their dirty jerseys and their sweat beating, dripping down their forehead. And then on the other side, you've got these gorgeous ladies everywhere. Now, they're ladies now, see, but the day before they were just girls that you went to class with. But on this day, they all get out of school early. They go and they, they, the previous day they were white, now they're all tan. They're tan in the fall. And they show up. The hair that's always been in a ponytail is now beautifully draping down and let, bouncing on their shoulders. And, and they're, they're wearing these dresses. And you're like going, huh? Who are you? You know? It's like you see them differently for the first time. Now, they've always been this way. They've always had the ability to look like this, but come on, those of us that were guys and play, come on, you looked across there and you were just hoping that I get to walk with her. Why? Because that girl gonna make me look good, that's why. Now, every other day of the week, I'm gonna make her look good. But today, she's gonna make me look good, man. It's like you look at them and I had no idea who you were. Nothing like homecoming. When you get to see somebody completely different than you've ever seen them before. It's that day when dads, we dread it. 
because we see our beautiful daughter walking out there on the field. And we remember what it was like to be 16 and full of hormones. <laughs> Buddy, stop looking. And we get all protective. And then on the other side of us, we get heartbroken because we see our daughters looking in a way that we're not ready to see them quite yet. And our heart is moved with a deep love and a deep compassion and a pride. Now we understand that that girl just yesterday was in pigtails and playing in the dirt. But look at her today. I always knew she could look like that. I always knew it. Homecoming, nothing like it. Then we get older and we experience homecoming on a different scale. And we realize a truism that you never really can go home. You know, when you move away from one city and you couldn't wait to get out of there. I remember growing up in Bartlesville, Oklahoma. I was on the wrong side of the track. I was telling some gentlemen that I brought to church today. My nickname growing up was White Stuffing. I was the white stuffing between the two Oreo cookies. And um, when the time came for us to leave Bartlesville, man, I couldn't wait to get out of that old town. Pardon me. I mean, it's Bartlesville. It's, you know, most famous thing about Bartlesville was Phillips 66 and Woolarock. You never heard of Woolarock, have you? That ought to tell you something. And I couldn't wait to get to the big city of Oklahoma City. But then as life goes on, I really made it a point to take all my kids home. And what's crazy is it doesn't look the same. It is not the same. I mean, about the only thing that is the same in Bartlesville, if you ever are blessed to go to that town, <laughs> all right, go on Frank Phillips Boulevard, on the bad side of town is this steakhouse called Murphy Steakhouse, and you need to go and get you a hot hamburger, and I'm not talking about a burger like you're thinking. I'm talking about a plate that's about this big around that puts a big piece of Texas, and this is if you get the small one. They put a big piece of Texas toast on there, and then they put a quarter pound patty, and then they smother it with onions, and they pile it, I am not joking with you, with steak fries about that high. Now, if you want to get the big one, it's double the bread and double the meat, but it's not double the fries. And they cover it with dark brown gravy, Jim. Now... We were smart, we didn't get the gravy because they had this orangey dressing called garlic dressing. Man, you always knew when my family went to Murphy's, you could smell us about a mile away. We'd take that, <laughs> smother it all over there. Yeah, it was so good. <clears throat> I can't go to Bartlesville, I can't go home. The house don't look the same, the church don't look the same, but praise God, Murphy's is still the same. <laughs> Nothing like going home and realizing that things have changed and they're not the same. Much has changed since the first time that Jesus left his hometown. He was a carpenter and left alone and now he has returned as a famous rabbi with disciples. His reputation was enough that the local rabbi abdicates his pulpit so Jesus 
could speak to the synagogue he grew up in. One of the hardest places you can ever preach is the church you grew up in. I've learned that the hard way. The next Sabbath, he began teaching in the synagogue and many were amazed and they asked, where did he get all this wisdom and the power to perform such miracles? Talk about an amazing hometown hero. 2,000 years later, he's still amazing. Do you realize that more songs have been written and sung about him? That more artwork has been created about him? That more books have been written about him than any other singular person in history? He's amazing. One of the war leaders of, our, of history, Napoleon Bonaparte, the little dude, said this, everything in Christ astonishes me. His spirit awes me and his will confounds me. Between him and whoever else in the world, there is no possible comparison. He is truly a being by himself. One can absolutely find nowhere but in him alone the imitation or the example of his life. I search in vain in history to find anyone similar to Jesus Christ or anything which can approach his gospel. Neither history nor humanity, nor the ages, nor nature offer me anything which I am able to compare him to or explain him by. Here in him, everything is extraordinary. Napoleon Bonaparte said Jesus is amazing. Yet no matter how amazing someone is, there will always be detractors. There will always be those who cast doubt. I want you to think about this. The only thing harder to overcome than your past are the perceptions of you that others already have. The only thing harder to overcome than your past are the perceptions of you that other people already have. Here is Jesus. They know about him. They're hearing these stories about the miracles this guy is doing. And he shows up in town and the pastor of the church says, dude, you need to talk today. (laughs) And he barely gets anything out of his mouth. And they're already disgruntled amongst themselves. Who does this guy think he is, they scoffed. He's just a carpenter, the son of Mary and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon. And his sisters live right here among us. And they were deeply offended and refused to believe 
Then Jesus told them, a prophet is honored everywhere except in his hometown and among his relatives and his own family. A prophet is honored everywhere except in his hometown. Let me talk to you about his hometown of Nazareth just for a moment. You may not know much about Nazareth, so let me give you a little bit of background, a little bit of information. It was a small, insignificant town on the outskirts of the Roman garrison. I'm going to be generous, okay, just to keep it easy. Estimates of this time period when Jesus was on the earth said that the population of this town was less than 100, probably closer to 80. It was a small town, baby. And you know what it's like in a small town? Everybody knows everything about everybody. Why do you think so many people love to break out of their hometowns if they're small? Because sometimes it's the only way to get away from who you were so you can become who you want to be. Less than 100 people, probably closer to 80. There was a famous phrase about Nazareth that Philip echoes in John chapter 1, verse 46. Can anything good come from Nazareth? How would you like to have your hometown talked about like that? You know, that place where you wear the letter jacket with the, the letter on it. You're proud, and, and yet everybody talks about your town and says, ain't nothing good going to ever come out of there. I mean, everybody who's there can't be anything special. And they begin to believe this. Who is Jesus? He's nobody special. He's one of us, after all. He grew up here. He's no Messiah. He's who he's always been, a carpenter. And they never let him grow beyond that. Anybody know who Leonard Bernstein is? If you don't, I'm going to tell you. (laughs) Leonard Bernstein was a brilliant composer, conductor, author, and pianist. He was among the first American conductors to receive worldwide acclaim. Growing up, however, Leonard's father had not given his son very much encouragement in his musical career. In fact, he discounted him quite often. Later in life, a reporter asked his father why he had been so unwilling to encourage his son's musical talents. His father famously replied, how was I supposed to know he would grow up to become Leonard Bernstein? He was always Leonard. How was I to know who he was gonna be? Likewise, how could the people of Nazareth have known that Jesus, the master carpenter, would become Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ? They thought they knew everything about this kid. A prophet is honored everywhere except in his hometown. Do you know why? Because familiarity breeds contempt. Doesn't that make sense? They were so familiar with Jesus. These are the people that watched Jesus play in the dirt. The people who watched Jesus grow up and go through puberty. They knew him. And because they knew him, they couldn't see him. Because they knew him, they could not see him. And I wonder 
if we are ourselves just a little too familiar with Jesus. Our nation has a history with Christ. There are Bibles in nearly every hotel room in our country. We have Christian music everywhere. We have Christian movies that play in movie theaters. We have books that are Christian. We have clothing that is Christian. We've heard the story of Jesus. Is it possible that we are too familiar and that we ourselves are not amazed anymore by Jesus? Have you ever heard of the Jesus film project? It's a dramatized story of the life of Jesus from the book of Luke. If it were to be played at Warren Theater, it would probably be a flop today. Critics would pan it. They would talk about how slow it is, how the cinematography is not well done, how the dialogue is old and dated, how it is a story all of us knew and lacks creativity. Do you know that it has been translated as of today into 1900 languages? And that it is used by missionaries all over the world in remote villages and hostile nations? Do you know that the newest translation of this film is not an audio translation? It's been translated into Farsi. You know, that language in Iran, which is a closed country. But not audibly, it's been translated into sign language so that deaf Muslims can experience the story of Jesus. To this day, over 200 million people have made decisions to follow Jesus after viewing this movie. That's one person every eight seconds. That's 10,800 people per day that are watching a movie we won't pay $5 to see and yet they are coming to know Christ. Why? Because they're not familiar with him and they stand in amazement of this kind of a guy who would love them this much and do this for them so that they could come to know God. Do you know that there are parts of the world where stadiums are filled with people who worship all night, praying for God to come to their city. And a majority of you right now can't find the time to come and gather at Scissortail Park today. Could it be that we're too familiar with Jesus? Do you know that there are cities on this planet right now where masses of people demonstrate in the cities in the streets of their town with banners and flags and instruments and they sing in public about the greatness of Jesus and we struggle to worship him here. Could it be that we too are a little too familiar with Jesus? 
my message today is amazing Jesus. And asking you to consider what is it that amazes him? When we fail to be amazed by Jesus, I want you to know he is amazed by us. And because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles among them except to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. Why do you think he could only place his hand on a few people that were sick and healed them? If you read between the lines, because there was only a few people who believed him. And because of their unbelief, he couldn't do miracles among them. Could it be that we don't see miracles in our life because we're not dealing with the unbelief inside of us? Could it be that we don't see miracles when we gather because we really don't believe in the miracle worker named Jesus? Could it be that we're just a little too familiar with him? So what amazes Jesus? And he was amazed at their unbelief. When we are no longer amazed by Jesus, Jesus is always amazed by us because he cannot believe that we can't believe in him. Then Jesus went from village to village teaching the people. Do you know why he had to go from village to village teaching people? Because he had to go find some people that didn't know him, that weren't familiar with him, so he could go to new people and begin to tell them about who he was. And he didn't have to overcome their perception of who he had been, but they were just willing to accept him for who he was. And I'm just grappled in my spirit and convicted in my heart to say, God, forgive me for assuming who you are and for not being amazed at who you really are just because I view you from a lifetime of knowing you and I've lost sight of the amazement of what it means to be loved by the ever-loving God of the universe. Forgive me, Father. Forgive us, Lord, when we have taken you haphazardly and we fit you into our schedules instead of adjusting our schedules to fit you and your desires. Welcome to church. Glad you're here today. What amazes him? Our lack of belief. Maybe we need to have the prayer of this man that's recorded in Mark chapter 9, beginning at verse 14. When they returned, by the way, when they returned, what's happened here at the first book, first part of chapter nine is Jesus has drawn his three disciples, Peter, James, and John. They've gone up to a mountain and Jesus is transfigured. They see Jesus for who he really is, all right? After this event, they come down from this mountain. When they returned to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd surrounding them and some teachers of the religious law were arguing with them. And when the crowd saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with awe. Oh, that we would be there. Yes. 
and they ran to greet him. What is it all this arguing is about, Jesus asked. When the crowd saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with awe and they ran to greet him. What is all this arguing about, Jesus asked, sorry. One of the men in the crowd spoke up and said, teacher, I brought my son so you could heal him. He is possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk. And whenever this spirit seizes him, it throws him violently to the ground. Then he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples, your followers, the people who claim to know you, I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. I want you to pay attention to this story. I am as American as they come. I don't care about your political spectrum today. I don't like the idea of two million people flooding our country without going through the proper channels. I've been outside this country and I understand in the South America how prominent demonic expression is. I know what it is like to be in Quito, Ecuador, ministering, and yet just outside of Quito, Ecuador, is a huge statue to a God that is not Jesus, that they actively worship. And I have no idea what is attached to these people that are coming into our country. I am not talking about people. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I know what it's like. I have personally interviewed Baptist missionaries who have told me if we don't speak in tongues and can't manifest the power of God, they won't listen to us. I've read the story of T.L. Osborne who went to another country and had a chief present his dead child and say, if your God is God, bring my son back to life. And T.L. Osborne prayed and nothing happened. And T.L. Osborne came home and locked himself in his closet and told his wife, no matter what I do, no matter what I say, you do not open this door until I meet Jesus. Right. And he stayed in that closet for weeks. And he came out of that closet after meeting Jesus and became a man that God did great miracles through because he met Jesus and became convinced with the power of God over the power of Satan. And he spent the rest of his life demonstrating that my God is greater than that God. And I wonder if the time is coming to us in America when this story might just happen, where people show up at the church with a child that they cannot control and they come to those of us that are his disciples and they ask us, can you deliver my child? And we just like them may not be able to do it. I believe we are coming to a day in our country where demons will begin to manifest, where we as the church have got to figure out whose side are we really on and what strength do we really have and what does it really mean to believe greater is he that is in me than anything that I face in this earth.
to not run in fear, but to stand up in faith and strength and say, no, uh uh-uh, not today, devil. Jesus said to them, who is the them? The people that had brought the child? No, the them is his disciples. He said to them, you faithless people, how long must I be with you? When I'm with you, you believe me. How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought the boy, verse 20. But when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child into a violent convulsion. Notice that it didn't see, it didn't do that when it saw the disciples, but only when he saw Jesus. Now Jesus is in you if you are tied to him. Ephesians is all about how that we are now in Christ and Christ is in us. Jesus' last prayer, Father, may they be in you as I am in you and may we be in them. Does the enemy get freaked out when you walk down the street? So they brought the boy, but when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child into a violent convulsion and he fell to the ground, writhing and foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening? Jesus asked the boy's father. Since he was a little boy, verse 22, the spirit often throws him into the fire or into water trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us. Oh, how many times have we said this? Help us if you can. How many times have we come to Jesus? God, if you can get me out of this. God, if you can heal me of this. God, if you can, if you can, if you can. Do you know why we say if you can? Because we don't have any belief. And Jesus replies to you and me today exactly the way he replied to this person. Verse 23. What do you mean if I can? Jesus said, anything is possible to him who believes. And this is now the prayer of my heart that I hopefully have got you to a point to where you're ready to embrace today. I think this is a good prayer. The father cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Father, I do believe that you're who you say you are, but help me to overcome the part of me that doesn't believe that. Father, I do believe that your desire is that the kingdom of heaven, as it is in heaven, will be manifested here on the earth, but God, help the part of me that doesn't believe that. God, I do believe that you care about my city just like you cared about your hometown. But Father, help the part of me that doesn't believe that. God, I do believe that you want to work through my life. But help the part of me that doesn't. What if we were just to do something radical and be honest with ourselves and say, Lord, I should believe this way but I don't, but help me overcome the part of me 
that doesn't believe so that I too live in awe of who you are, so that I too live in, in, a, in a wonder of who you want me to be, of what it means not just to be loved by you, but God, that you want to love through me to other people. You loved your hometown enough to try to take your message home. But because of their familiarity and their unbelief, you couldn't do much. How about we stop being familiar? And let's determine that in our community that we want God to show off that we want the greatness of God to be displayed, that we want to see Jesus be who he claims that he is and actually believe that he wants to do amazing things. As I wrap up, when Jesus saw the crowd of onlookers, was growing, he rebuked the evil spirit. Listen, you spirit that makes this boy unable to hear and speak. I command you to come out of this child and never enter him again. Then the spirit screamed and threw the boy into another violent convulsion and left him. The boy appeared dead and a murmur ran through the crowd as people said, oh my word, he's dead. The, oh my words in my Johnny translation, just say. But Jesus took him by the hand and helped him to his feet, and he stood up. You wanna know who Jesus is? He's all about taking the things that you and I think are dead and showing they're still alive, including our unbelief. The part of us that, that we don't think can really believe in him, he's all about taking it by the hand and going, let me show you. You don't think I can do this? Let me show you what I can do if you'll just believe. You don't think that I can do amazing things through you? Give me your hand and let me show you what I can do through you. You don't think it's possible? I'm major in making the impossible possible. I'm just looking for some people who will not be familiar and who will simply believe that I'm after making what is in heaven on earth. Would you stand today? Afterwards, when Jesus was alone in the house with his disciples, they asked him, why couldn't we cast out the evil spirit? And Jesus replied, verse 29, this kind can be cast out only by prayer. This is a famous scripture that preachers love to preach on. I understand that the, the question the disciples asked was about why they couldn't bring freedom to this child. And Jesus' response was, this only happens through fasting and prayer. But he might have meant something else. What if what Jesus was saying wasn't about power over demons, but it was about overcoming their unbelief? Your unbelief is the reason that you couldn't deliver this child. And the only way you get rid of your unbelief is through fasting and prayer. Jesus said, hunger and thirst for righteousness and you'll be filled. Whatever you hunger for, whatever you thirst for, whatever you're diligent for, whatever you really, really want, you can have 
I just wonder how many of us would be honest enough to say, Lord, I need to hunger and thirst to get rid of this unbelief. Lord, I, I need to really get to a place to where this unbelief is driven out of me so that I can experience the greatness of who you are. If that's you and you're like me, would you just lift your hands today? Father, I pray today for every person whose hand is raised. Lord, I pray, God, that the prayer of this Father would become the prayer of our heart. That, Lord, we want to believe. We don't want to be dishonoring to you. But, God, we are because we're familiar. But I pray today that you would begin inside of us a desire, God, to do whatever it takes to root out this unbelief to fast, to pray, to seek your face, to see the unbelief inside of us driven out so that we truly are standing not only in all of you, but truly do understand the power of being in love with a pastor of a very, very large church. He's on TV on a regular basis. Married his high school sweetheart. So the story I'm about to tell you I know personally to be true. She not once, not twice had multiple affairs on him. At one point, she had a mental breakdown. And they had to put her into a place to get some help. And I'll never forget watching that service as it streamed live as he stood there and he said, people, some of you guys want to know if I'm going to divorce my wife. I'm not divorcing my wife. I said, for better, for worse, a minute. And he stood by her, knowing what she had done. Everybody in their church knew what she had done. And God not only restored her mind, but God restored their marriage. And now their church is even larger today than it was before. Why? Because he demonstrated the incredible audacious love that Jesus Christ has for you and me. That though we have multiple times had affairs on him, multiple times walked away from him, yet he, with everybody accusing us, stands and says, no, they're mine for better or for worse, and I'm going to love them until they hit the better again. Mm, that's what it means to be in love with Jesus and for Jesus to be in love with you. I've brought to you a pretty poignant thought today. Let's amaze him by something other than our unbelief. How about we amaze him by our belief? How about we amaze him by our belief in him? Now, I talked about gathering today. I'm not trying to condemn you. I'm trying to encourage you. Show up today and make a statement. Whether few or a lot, let's make a statement. 
to our King, first of all, that we are His and that our city is His. And then be open to people you don't know around you and be willing to love on them. I'm making new friends every week. This is a new friend of mine right over here. I hope some of you guys come and meet him. I picked him up today in Norman. He was listening to Stephen Furtick on his headphones. I was like, I was feeling really challenged, man. Let me just tell you. It's like, oh boy. I'm going to ask some of you to step up with me. There's a lot of my dad in me. I don't like drawing a lot of attention to myself. And I'm going to right now and I'm kind of uncomfortable about it. Today, this week, I'm going to have shoulder surgery. Shoulder surgery. Yes, my mouth is dry. Sorry. Hallelujah. I'm going to have shoulder surgery this week. Lord willing, it's not too bad. There's a chance it might be a little, little tough. They won't know till they get in there. So, and those of you that are in my inner circle, you know, you know how I am with pain medicine. <laughs> so, um, I'm probably going to be out next weekend. So, I need a couple of men who'd be willing to go and pick up some friends of mine and bring them to church next week. I pick up guys at a house in Moore and I pick up guys at a house in Norman. Thank you, my friend. If you'd be willing to help me, step up and love on some people. I don't know who they are. That's why you go meet them. If you just talk to me or even Pastor Wayne and just let us know, we'll get you their address. But uh, these are some great guys that God is allowing us to love on. And, and I, want, I, I need some of you to, to start stepping up and help me with that. Is that cool, everybody? All right. As we conclude today, we're going to sing this one more time. And I just want you to... Father, forgive me. Forgive me, Father, for judging things by what I see with my eyes and not really believe in what, what you're telling us. Help me, Father be a man who walks with uncommon belief and uncommon faith. And I pray that over the rest of us, oh God. If you would agree with that prayer, just lift your hands. Father, let us be people that walk with uncommon faith, with uncommon belief in who you are. You are exactly who you claim to be, the Son of God the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords. That, Father, you are the living expression of the love of God. That, Father, your love is in us and you want us to be those living expressions now in the earth. Help us to live with that belief. In Jesus' name I pray.